0: This week, we are focused on faith, that faith is the victory. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. To give you a little preview of what we're going to be talking about, this morning during the worship hour, we're going to be talking about the object of our faith, which is, of course, Jesus Christ. And then this evening, we will begin studying Hebrews chapter 11. Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, we will be studying Hebrews chapter 11. So I want to ask you this afternoon to find some time to read Hebrews chapter 11. And I would encourage you to read that each day. Uh, during our gospel meeting. Tonight we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11 and we're going to talk about the components of faith. On Monday evening, we'll look at the people who are named in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 and we will talk about running with the winners. Then on Tuesday evening, victorious faith, how faith brings us the victory, And in what areas faith brings victory to us. And then we will go to the end of the chapter on Wednesday evening and we will talk about the other side of faith. You see, there were many that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11 that were delivered by faith from death. But the other side of faith, there were those who were delivered through death. And yet they were faithful to God. This morning, we are going to talk about a faith relationship. And that lays the foundation for our week of study together. If you turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 5, you look in verses 22 and 24, you will see that twice, the Bible says that Enoch walked with God. And then you will find also in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, that the Bible says that Noah walked with God. The word walked in each of these passages is from a Hebrew word, halak, that literally means to be a traveling companion. Enoch, Noah, and of course many others as we will see in Hebrews 11 later this week, had God as their traveling companion through life. Regrettably few enjoy the depth of that relationship. There are many people who believe in God and yet they act as if God is a distant being, one with whom they have no intimate contact. Do you feel disconnect from God? Is God relevant In your life? Is he there? Is he impacting your decisions and the way that you live? Is he there? I think that there are a lot of people today in America who are practicing deist. A deist is a person who believes in the existence of God, that God created the world, But that God has withdrawn himself from mankind, he's far removed and that he does not interact with mankind today. He does not interact in their lives. I want to assure you that David did not feel that way about his relationship with God. And so this morning in our Bible class, I want to ask you to turn to Psalm 139 which is a psalm that displays David's understanding of his relationship with God. He talks about how God is all knowing. He talks about how God is everywhere. He talks about how God is powerful. And he talks about how God is holy. But there is more. He talks about what each of these things mean to him personally in his relationship to God. We are going to especially highlight the pronouns that David uses in this beautiful psalm. I have taken the liberty of highlighting them on our transparencies because I want you to appreciate them. When he talks about God, he talks about you and your. And when he talks about himself, he talks about me and I. And so he is describing a very personal relationship, you and I. To give you just a little, a very little background on the Psalm, it is obvious as you look at the Psalm that it has 24 verses. What may not be as obvious is the fact that each, that those 24 verses are divided into four stanzas, each containing six verses. So each group of six has a special message to us about our relationship with God. And so let's look at the psalm. In the first stanza, verses 1 through 6, David talks about the fact that God is omniscient. That is, God is all-knowing. That God is not a distant God. That God is not an unconcerned God. But David does not talk about God's omniscience just from the standpoint of intellectual fact. But he talks about it from the perspective of what that means to his life. That God knows everything about his life. And notice that in verse 1, he declares the fact, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. And then he elaborates upon that fact. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Now, what was David saying? David was saying, Lord, you know everything about me. It's you and me, God. You and I. And recognizing that fact, he talks about God's protection and God's benefit. Since God knows everything about him, he first talks about his protection. You have hedged me behind and before. And then he talks about the benefit and laid your hand up on me. David then says, as I think about this thought that you God know everything about me, it's just too marvelous to comprehend. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Folks, he is telling us that God knows everything about him. And he knows everything about us, doesn't he? My God and I. My God knows everything about me. Now, let's look at the second stanza. In the second stanza of the Psalm, verses seven through 12, having talked about the fact that God is omniscient, that God knows everything, David said he knows everything about me, he now talks about the fact that God is omnipresent, that God is everywhere, with reference to time and to place. But what David is saying in these verses is, God is everywhere that I am. I mean, it's an intellectual fact that would not necessarily move us, that God is everywhere. But let's make that personal. Let's make that real. God is everywhere that I am. notice what he says first of all he asks a question where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence now he answers his own question if I ascend into heaven you are there if I make my bed in hell in Sheol in the Hadean realm behold you are there If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Now, may I suggest that when David said, where can I go from your presence? Or where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? David was not saying, God, I'm trying to hide from you. David was just appreciating the fact That there's nowhere that life was going to take him. That God was not going to be there. I want you to think about that. That everywhere you are, God will be there. And so it is. In faith relationships, my God, and I. Now, let's go to the third stanza. The third stanza in verses 13 through 18 talks about the fact that God is omnipotent. That is, that God is all-powerful. But what is particularly interesting here is that David doesn't approach this from the perspective that we would anticipate that he would. We would anticipate, if someone was going to address how God is all-powerful, that they would talk about his creation of the universe, of heaven and of earth. But David does not do that. Rather, what David does is focus on his own creation. As a matter of fact, David focuses on his prenatal state. Notice in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. In verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Now I must pause right here for just a moment and pose this question. What was it that was formed in his mother's womb? Was it just a blob of protoplasm? Was it just an inconvenience that is to be aborted? I want you to notice in those verses those personal pronouns. David said, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written, the day's fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Notice the personal pronouns that are here used. I would suggest to you that this is a profound text that totally obviates the arguments of those who are pro choice. But may I suggest to you that we call it what it is? It is not the termination of a pregnancy, folks, it is murder. In Proverbs chapter 6, the Bible tells us that God hates six things, that seven things are actually an abomination to him. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, that word abomination is from the Hebrew word to'eba, it literally means a disgusting abhorrence. Did you notice the last one he mentions? Hands that shed innocent blood. What blood is more innocent than the blood of the unborn? And so this does away with the idea of abortion. But back to the point. As David thought about the power of God and thought about his own creation and his own mother's womb, David said in verse 14, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. As he thought about the power of God, the creation of his own life, it caused him to praise God. And those thoughts to David, those thoughts were precious. Those thoughts were innumerable. In verse 17, he said, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Now he talks about how innumerable those thoughts are. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. And notice this. When I awake, I am still with you. Folks, underscore that in your thinking, if not in your Bible. When I awake, I am still with you. David's God was not a distant God, a distracted God. God was not distant to David, and David was not distant to God. God was not detached from David, and David was not detached from God. God was always in David's consciousness. Folks, we're talking about a faith relationship. David... Focusing on the power of God and creating Him. And you're always with me, he said. It's my God and I. But now we've moved to the fourth stanza in verses 14 through 19. And in this stanza, David prayed for God to slay the wicked. Isn't that interesting? Oh, verse 19, that you would slay the wicked. Oh God, why would David say that? This last stanza seems to be disconnected from the first three stanzas. He'd been talking about God's greatness. He'd been talking about God's knowledge and talking about God's presence and talking about God's power. And now here he is expressing the desire that God would slay the wicked. Is David going in a different direction? No. I think with a little thought, we will realize that it fits perfectly with what David has been saying. You see, the wicked and the behavior of wicked men was so incompatible with David's wonderful and great God that David says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. And notice what he says. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Notice that we have a change in this stanza. Before, David had been talking about you and I, God and I. But now he's talking about God and God's enemies. And notice that David is totally uncomfortable with those who are opposed to his wonderful and his great God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Folks, God's enemies ought to be our enemies. Look at verses 21 and 22. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Now, I realize that we may be a little bit uncomfortable with this word of hate. Is David using too strong of a word? Well, let's look at some other statements that David made. Turn with me to Psalm 101 and notice what David says in verse 3. David said, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. And then turn to Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, in verse 104, David, in writing this longest of the Psalms, the longest chapter in the Bible, where he is extolling the greatness of God's word, says, through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. And across the page or on the next page, notice verse 128. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. That's really what David's talking about. Doesn't the Bible tell us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 that we are to abhor that which is evil? Now you can look at me and you can tell I like to eat. Actually, I'm not overweight. I'm supposed to be nine foot six inches tall. (laughs) I love to eat, but there is one food that I do not like. And I I almost hesitate to illustrate with this because y'all will bring them the rest of the week. I know you will. I don't like olives. I just soon eat a big old bug as eat an olive. I mean, I can look at olives and go, that's what the word abhor here means. To be so revolted by something, so turned off by something that you shudder at it. We are to abhor that which is evil. We ought to be very uncomfortable, folks with those who take God's name in vain. I'll tell you one we're hearing all the time on television. We're hearing it in society, and it, and it really bothers me when we hear it. Little children use it. You hear it all of the time. Oh, my God. It's sickening that people would use God's name in vain in a light and in a flippant way. God's name should only be used in reverence. David talks about this in this stanza. But, by the way, don't get the idea that David was being self-righteous. David acknowledged his humanity and the fact that he could sin. And so in verse 23, he says, search me, O God, And know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. One thing you can know for sure. David wanted to be right with God. David had a faith relationship with God. His was a life devoted to God. My God and I. Now that's the song. Allow me very quickly to make four applications from what we have learned in this song. I see several of you taking notes, and many of you have your Bibles open, and that's wonderful. I appreciate that. Here is the first application. Like David, we must be keenly aware of the fact that God knows all about us. In verse 1, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. It's very easy in our fast-paced world to get into the helter-skelter And to lose sight of the fact, to overlook the fact that God knows all about us. Do you want a closer relationship with God? Live with a daily consciousness of the fact that God knows what you are thinking and what you are saying. And what you are doing. And what you are experiencing. Live with a daily consciousness of the fact that God knows everything about you. And be comfortable with that. My God and I. A faith relationship. Second. Like David, we must be keenly aware of God's presence in our lives. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Don't go through a day, any day, acting like God isn't there. Because he is there. Do you want to be closer with God? Then don't rob yourself of communion with God on a daily basis. Don't fail to acknowledge Him. Depend upon Him. Seek His counsel. See, a closer relationship with God begins with a daily awareness that God knows all about me and God is present. My God and I, a faith relationship. Application number three, like David, we must be keenly aware of God's power in forming and molding us. In verse 14, David said, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and that my soul knows very well. Let us live with a daily awareness of the fact that God created us, and God sustains us, and God guides us, and God is molding us. And by the way, as we see in that stanza, that should cause us to praise him and to serve him. Want to be closer to God? Acknowledge him as your creator and your sustainer. Praise him. Live with a daily consciousness. My God and I. It's a faith relationship. May I suggest to you in application number four that, like David, we must identify with God, understand his holiness, and take it personally when others attack our wonderful God by their words or by their actions. Verse 21, do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? Let us be ever mindful of God's holiness and our relationship to Him. As He who called you is holy, you be holy in all of your conduct. 1 Peter 1 and verse 15. Act toward other people out of a posture of holiness. Don't laugh at their smutty jokes. Don't snicker when they take God's name in vain. Don't count God's enemies your friends because whoever would be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. James chapter 4 and verse 4. Want to have a closer walk with God? Be conscious always of God's holiness and of your relationship with him. And how did David end this great song? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And and see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way Everlasting. My God and I, my God is not out there somewhere unattached from creation and from me. My God knows all about me. My God is everywhere that I am. My God is all-powerful. My God is holy. And I would suggest that living with a daily consciousness of these facts will help us walk closer to him. My God and I. As I face today, and as I I face every day, it will be my God and I. And when I face the chilly stream of death, and when I stand before my God in judgment, it will be my God and I. And when I stand before Him in judgment and hear Him say those precious words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. It will be my God and I forever my God and I. That faith relationship is what brings the abundant life and will one day usher us into the presence of our God. Some people do not like the song that we're about to sing because I think they try to take it too literal. But I think in the context of our lesson today, it fits perfectly. I would like you to think carefully about the words of this song as we sing them together. My God and I go
1: in the field together. Good friends should and do. We clasp our hands. Our
0: Relationship of faith. We're dismissed.